Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA here. It is already Monday, April 25th. We do appreciate being a part of your day. As we look out at the markets today, the equity markets are keeping an eye on some mergers and acquisition details that might be happening. It was announced that the Twitter board is on track to reach a deal and sell itself to Elon Musk, potentially as soon as today. We're going to discuss not that in a whole lot of detail, but if you're on Twitter, you do want to be sure to follow the AOA radio show you can find us at AOA underscore talk show we're going to be discussing the cattle on feed report with Dennis Smith of Archer Financial Services and again if, if you're on Twitter he's there at Dennis Cattle and in segment two we're going to get an update on the weather from John Baranek at DTN North Dakota once again in the crosshairs this past week as storms floods blizzards and tornadoes all took aim at that state John will let us know if potentially there's a break, a little respite in store for our friends in the Northern Plains. And in segment three, we're going to talk with John Holzman. He's our geopolitic strategist friend from Milan, Milan, excuse me, Milan's in Illinois. Milan is in Italy, which is where John will be connecting from. He's going to give us an update on the situation in Ukraine. He's also taking a look at what's developing in the Indo-Pacific theater down there in Southeast Asia. And finally, in segment four today, Max Fisher, chief economist with the National Grain and Feed Association, is going to give us an update on the concerns they've had developing about rail transport across the country. So stay with us. All of that coming on today's AOA. But first, let's talk about that cattle on feed report that came out on Friday. Joining me now is Dennis Smith of Archer Financial Services. Dennis, thanks for talking to us today. You're welcome, Mike. Good morning. Let's talk about cattle on feed. Dennis, we did see the on-feed number come in higher than expected. Give us the details. Yeah, the uh, the on-feed uh, 102 placements were larger than expected. They were at 100% of a year ago. Average trade guess was for placements to only be 92% of a year ago, and the marketing pace uh, as expected at 98%. So those are the numbers and uh, caught, caught the board, including myself, leaning the wrong way as far as uh, the direction uh, of placements. Yeah, that placement number, 8% higher than analysts were anticipating. Dennis, is this just a sign that that drought in the Southern Plains is continuing to push calves off pasture? Yeah, it's it's a real concerning uh, situation that, that continues. And and in tandem with this, Mike, is the, the elevated beef cow slaughter, uh, which is actually accelerating. We are more than two years into a contraction of the, of the cattle herd. And instead of it slowing, it's actually accelerating. Uh, so these trends are, are, are quite concerning. And frankly, they're very bullish over the long term. Uh, that's difficult to talk about with the market 200 lower. But what we are doing is a massive liquidation uh, of, you might say, the ability to manufacture beef in this country. It will be reduced over the long term. Dennis, we in the cattle market or the folks that watch the cattle market have been talking about this for some time. It seems like there is a better day for this industry just around the corner, but it's been just around the corner now for coming up on three years for a lot of producers facing these higher input costs. As these placement levels are so much higher than anticipated, is this a sign that potentially we're pulling that bullishness a little bit closer to us? Oh, I think so. And again, I, I can't predict uh, with any degree of certainty how quickly the, the levers uh, is going to switch, or I should say the leverage is going to switch from from packer to feedlot but you know mike this placement rate while it, it was larger than expected it, it was not above a year ago it was a hundred percent of a year ago and the other thing to keep in perspective here is the marketings were even so in other words we marketed two million head of cattle in march and we placed just 
under 2 million head of cattle in March. As long as you're marketing more cattle than what you're placing, we are moving toward that current marketing status, which we've really not had in this industry for more than three years. So we are getting closer to seeing this thing shift gears. Uh, and, and uh, by, you know, by the third quarter, uh, I, I think this thing is, is in much better shape. Dennis, as you think through the third quarter into fourth quarter, and then of course on into 2023, as these high input costs continue to pound these ranchers, does cow liquidation continue to stay at this pace it's at right now? I'm not sure how long it will continue. It's uh, it's uh, just uh, uh, it's continued longer than what I've expected already. And, and then, like I indicated, the trends are that it's accelerating, not slowing. So. Uh, this is a, a real tough situation, and and you know look at where we're seeing it, Region Six saw a, a huge uh, uh, weekly cow kill uh, for the latest data, so that's going back to like the middle of April, and basically Region Six is Texas and Oklahoma, uh, along with uh, New Mexico, uh, Arkansas, Louisiana, but basically the the, the Cowboys in Texas, Oklahoma, continue to take those cows to market. It's just too dry. Uh, hay is too expensive. Corn is through the roof. And uh, the, the losses have been too long uh, and the equity is gone. Yeah, and it's not a new trend. Of course, this has been in place for two or three years now for the cattle feeder. Dennis, as you think about carcass weights and, and the attempt to get the industry more current, are we seeing weights come down? We are starting to see weights come down. They they are still above a year ago, uh, but we're thinking this can change rather quickly. And uh, you will see, I, I think, weights continue to drop. And then, of course, Mike, uh, the other side of the coin is the fact that beef demand is is never been better in this country. Uh, export demand is very strong. Uh, currently, the market is all shaken up about the uh, COVID shutdown in China. Uh, that has uh, the whole world concerned as far as uh, economic growth and, and uh, virtually every other commodity is seeing some selling because of this COVID shutdown in China. Uh, but the, the beef market, uh, ironically, experiencing excellent demand. And, uh, you know, it's it won't be long. And uh, this sounds crazy, but it will not be long. And we will be talking about record high cash steer prices, maybe a year, uh, 16 months from now. In the interim, Dennis, this week, next week, do you expect to see cash prices relatively stable or could there be a decline this week? Well, I'm not sure. I would expect uh, to, to see uh, uh, the market to hold steady in the cash steer market. Uh, judging by Packer behavior, uh, their, their behavior tells me that we're getting closer and closer to a very current marketing status. And uh, that tells me that the cash market will not be lower. All right, tightness in the beef complex. That's a good, good news for a lot of our cattle feeding friends. Thanks to Dennis Smith of Archer Financial Services. Dennis, always appreciate your insight. Thank you for having me. And folks, stick with us. We're gonna talk weather with John Baranek of DTN Weather when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. There's a difference between field experts and experts in the field. At FS, we're experts in the field. Our crop specialists are driven to maximize every acre and bring the latest agronomic technologies and innovations to your farm. Whether recommending the appropriate hybrid or variety, nutrient management for optimum growth, or advice on disease and pest management, our crop specialists are always focused on pointing your operation forward. So visit FSSystem.com and let's get you headed towards your next success. FS, bringing you what's next. Tough 5 ec is a selective contact post-emergent herbicide that synergizes HPPD inhibitors and enhances the effect of atrazine. Tough 5 ec works fast and can significantly improve the control of weeds such as water hemp, palmer, and kochia today and help prevent the selection of herbicide resistance tomorrow. Tough 5 ec is in stock and ready to ship. 
Ask your local retailer about Tough 5 EC or visit BelgiumUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. When it comes to your 2022 seed decisions, don't step over the line. Buy new, professionally produced seed from authorized seed companies and dealers. The Seed Innovation and Protection Alliance membership of 100 companies invest 15% of their sales into product research and development that can take 7 to 16 years, with total costs ranging from $1 million to $140 million for new genetics and or traits. SEPA thanks farmers for buying new seed that not only maximizes yield potential, but also funds the next great seed innovations for U.S. farmers. To anonymously report a seed infringement, call 1-844-SEED-TIP. Most folks just stick with the diesel engine oil they know, because why sweat the details? But you don't. You're one of those who'd make the switch, and we're talking to you. Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils give you the smartest oil for the toughest conditions. While the others experience wear and tear, you give complacency a kick in the pants. Senex Maxtron Diesel Engine Oils, oil that runs smart. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Pearson here. Thanks to all of you for joining us. Over the past two weeks, our friends in the Northern Plains, specifically North Dakota, have been targeted by weather system after weather system. And this is after a, a six, eight month period where the western half of that state didn't see really any moisture at all. Well, that's changed very quickly for some of those folks. And to help talk about what has happened in North Dakota, as well as what could be happening for the rest of the country over this next week, our friend John Baranek of DTN Weather is joining us. John, thanks for taking the time to be with us today. Thanks, Mike. I really appreciate being on with you today. Let's first recap this past week in North Dakota. John, at one point, I pulled up my weather radar and I saw they had a blizzard warning, a winter storm warning, flood warnings, and a tornado warning all at one time. Fill us in. Who got what up there in the Northern Plains? Wow. It was it was an incredible storm system if you were in North Dakota. Um, I mean, if you take the whole state as a whole, you're right. I mean, the, whole, the western side of the state had uh, some freezing rain and then blizzard conditions. Uh, and then we had flooding across the eastern half, and some of that came with some severe weather in the, in the form of tornadoes as well. So it was, it was, it was just wild. Uh, in terms of precipitation amounts, um, the western half of, of North Dakota, kind of northwest South Dakota and the eastern Montana and, and Wyoming got 8 to 18 inches of snow with that blizzard. Wind gusts of 50 to 60 miles an hour were pretty common. And then eastern North Dakota, um, there were widespread areas here of two to four inches of rainfall. There were some areas kind of between Fargo and Grand Forks uh, that got, you know, what is estimated here, at least on, uh, on radar, for about six to eight inches. So it was uh, quite, quite incredible. And we've seen, you know, lots of pictures if you're perusing Twitter about, you know, flooding that was going on up there, uh, some of the washouts that were kind of, kind of nuts, uh, you know, just something... Yeah, they've gone through some pretty harsh conditions up there in North Dakota over the last couple of years, that's for sure. 
Yeah, they certainly have. And I can tell you, I had a farmer friend of mine up at Thompson, North Dakota, there in that area between Fargo and Grand Forks. He measured five and a half to six inches on the farm. He said it, the rain gauge was six inches that the wind was so strong, it was blowing some of it off. So he wasn't sure whether it was that full six <laughs> inches. Truly something else. John, let's talk. We've got the drought monitor coming out later this week. After these two weeks of moisture there in the northern plains, do you expect to see a categorical improvement in the drought monitor or, or is it still not quite enough? Well, we did see uh, a little bit there in western North Dakota with the last blizzard that moved through uh, last week um, or the week prior. Uh, and this week, uh, I should do much of the same. I mean, a lot of those same areas uh, that got hit with the snow got another one to two-ish kind of inches of rainfall. So if you add that to the kind of one and a half to two and a half to add beforehand, good four, five, six inches of, of liquid equivalent uh, in those drought areas out there in the northwestern plains. Well, that's 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 good for drought reduction for sure. So I would expect at least some categorical drought reduction. You know, it's not you know 10 to 12 inches over the course of a season. So you know they're still dealing with some drought. You know, below normal precipitation. But you know, topsoils are wet, um, and it's it's going to leak into the subsoils here eventually too. So better conditions even even if they stay in the drought there in kind of Montana and the Western Dakotas. Well, let's move farther south. North Dakota wasn't the only place dealing with life-threatening weather this past week. John, as we get into South Dakota, Nebraska, Kansas, we've got fires, we've got 70-mile-an-hour winds. Bring us up to speed. How do, how do conditions look across the central parts of the plains right now? Yeah, dry is pretty much it. I mean, even though they're, they've been getting some showers to move through, and they got some with this past uh, weekend storm system, too, they're just a lot more spottier than you'd expect or, or you know, hope for. For a lot of these areas, especially when they're they're uh, mired in drought, but uh, we did see some in western Kansas. There's there's some areas there that got uh, about an inch, but that also came with some severe storms. And as you mentioned, the strong wind gusts uh, that moved through as well, so kicking up wildfires and everything like that. You know, even even with some of the shower activity around, it's not enough to kind of uh, abate the, the 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 fire threat for a while when when drought is just so entrenched in this area. Um, it's just going to be hard to move it out, and it's uh, we're not seeing a whole lot on uh, at least for the next week and a half to really kind of improve conditions for a whole lot of that area. Now it's still going to be active this week, and we are going to see some showers, and it will include some of the, the drought areas that, that I mentioned. But you know, it's still going to be just more isolated stuff, and, and not overly helpful for too many people. Now, that situation changes a little bit as we go farther east. Of course, this this storm system we saw this weekend, John, is still impacting the eastern Corn Belt headed to the east coast. What do you expect to see some from a severe threat over the next couple of days? Yeah, so that front is basically from kind of central Texas up into the eastern Midwest, kind of toward uh, Toronto area. Um, and that will be producing some showers and thunderstorms. Uh, it could be a little bit severe with that, but the severe threat basically over. There may be some uh, isolated hail and, and uh, a wind gust here or there. But for the most part, it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty tame in terms of severe weather uh, as those move through uh, both today and tomorrow as well. Let's look out a little farther, John. We're taking a look at the whole country here. Do you see any systems moving in from the West Coast that could have a broad impact across the uh, the Corn Belt areas? Gee, yeah. Unfortunately, it seems like everyone that does move into the West is just uh, picks up steam as it moves east of the Rockies and just plows through just about everybody. You know, down in the South, where we talked about the drought areas, it's been more forms of wind than that kind of energy instead of precipitation producing energy. Uh, but yeah, we've got uh, another system that'll be moving in here uh, late this week in the Pacific Northwest that really gets going and, and starts developing more showers and thunderstorms, uh, potentially cold enough for some more snow in North Dakota. So then the, uh, the Northern Plains get it first there on Friday and then that'll spread across uh, most of the country here going through this weekend and in the early next week. There's another system that kind of on its heels for early to mid next week as well. But not a lot of shower, not a lot of those showers are going to be falling across the southwestern plains, especially those winter wheat areas. All right, more frustration, more dryness there in store for those folks. John, let's zoom out a little bit on the weather picture. Farmers in my neck of the woods are champing at the bit to get into the fields. When do you expect to see some substantial warming take place and perhaps some dry down? When can we start getting some corn and soybeans planted here in a larger area across the country? 
Yeah, it's it's going to be difficult for a while here. I mean, there's, you know, I think farmers are going to be just, you know, any chance they get, they're going to do at least a little bit of activity. And across the eastern Corn Belt here, it looks like they may get a chance this week. Um, you know, they're they're going to after the the system kind of moves through here today, they're going to be drier here for much of the week, and uh, you know, get some uh, some drier periods here. A little bit warmer temperatures going in late half of the week. And, uh, you know, they'll be getting the, the storm system that moves through this weekend, but they may have a little bit of an opportunity there late this week. Now, it's going to be a little bit more difficult west of the Mississippi River. Thousands of products with four and five star. Not only do we have Sorry. the uh, showers, that's okay. Not only do we have the showers moving through this weekend, but we've also got uh, some potential showers kind of in the middle of the week, too. So it's going to be difficult kind of Mississippi River westward. All right. Well, let's go down to South America, John. We've been talking about that Brazilian corn crop there, dry or wet season rather, is coming to a close. Have there been any changes to their forecast in Brazil or Argentina? Yeah, in Brazil, it's it's uh, staying dry in central Brazil. Uh, the only change is actually it's getting warmer um, without showers to kind of tamp them down a bit. Uh, the temperature is really sore. So temperatures are going to be in the 90s, and they've already had some uh, you know conditions where they've been pulling soil moisture out of the ground there for that safrina corn. And uh, it's just going to continue here for at least the next 10 days. There is some uh, brief chance that we may get a, a storm system to kind of be strong enough to move that far north into central Brazil and get some sh isolated showers in there, but they're probably going to be spotty, even if it does come to fruition. Other than that, though, southern Brazil uh, into Argentina is going to have some waving showers this week. It's good for both corn and, and wheat uh, in southern Brazil. You know, they're pretty much at the tail end of the season in Argentina, for the, and they're well into harvest right now for, for corn and soybeans. So the, the precipitation there is probably going to be hindering harvest more than it will be helping any of the corn and soybeans that's still left. But it will be helpful for the wheat uh, as they start planting that up too. John, before we let you go, La Nina, is she still stable down there in the Southern Pacific? She does not want to let go. Um, I don't see any indication anymore of this kind of going away through the summertime period. So I think La Nina is going to be here to stay. may not be very strong. Maybe a weak La Nina through the summertime, but I don't see it uh, really getting into you know neutral conditions uh, through the summertime. I think it's going to be here. And that leads a hotter and buyer dry, drier bias here in the west of the United States, doesn't it? Unfortunately, it does. Uh, if you're basically, especially west of the Mississippi River, that's hot and dry conditions for the summertime, yep. All right, folks, lots to keep an eye on as this growing season moves forward. John Brannick of DTN Weather will help us make sense of it. John, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me on again, Mike. Appreciate it. And folks, stick with us. John Holzman, geopolitical expert, will join us after the break to talk about Ukraine and what's developing in the Indo-Pacific theater. Stay with us here on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you. And we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. I drive my bus in a busy city. That's why road safety is so important to me. I know that I must slow down and be extra careful when I make a wide turn. Buses need more room than cars. Everyone can help keep our roads safe. Next time you're driving, remember to give buses plenty of time and space to finish turning before driving ahead. Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. As we take a look at the grain markets, we continue to see the soybean complex, soybeans, soybean meal, soybean oil under considerable pressure. We saw that through the overnight trade, and that is extended here into the day session. Florida wheat futures have moved their way moderately higher. The wheat market was up sharply overnight. That has since backed off some from those overnight highs, but still showing moderate strength here in the wheat market. 
Now we see this heavy selling pressure, a lot of it tied to news that China's COVID-19 cases are again rising and in the capital city of Beijing, although the cases are a minuscule 70 cases in a city of 21 million people, China has a zero COVID policy, meaning that more lockdowns could come. Demand remains strong for U.S. soybeans, with China buying 2.4 million bushels of old crop and a total of 17.2 million bushels of new crop beans announced by USDA on Monday. Now we see as well that crude oil is under pressure with the China news down 497 a barrel at 97.10 here this hour. Stock futures under pressure as well as fears of broadening China COVID-related lockdowns spread through the entire global markets. The VIX surged above 30 for the first time since March 15th here in the overnight trade. And it's holding there as we uh, look at the morning action. The Dow Jones down 243 points. Rain numbers right now. May corn two higher, 795. May soybean down 19 and a half, 1696 and a half. May bean meal down 360 a ton, 455.20. May bean oil down 226 points at 81 even. May Chicago wheat eight and three quarters higher, 1074 to quarter. May Kansas City wheat up 10 and a half, 1153 to quarter. May spring wheat up 15 and 1175 and a quarter. Cattle futures are reacting to Friday's cattle on feed report down triple digits with hogs triple digits lower as well. This is AOA. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines keep on digesting for others and that's not all you can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor restoring sight and health and you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant you're touching whole families with your life-saving gift register in minutes just go to organdonor.gov you'll be happy you did and just maybe someone else will be happy too sign up today Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Geopolitical events have been shaking the agricultural markets, well, for the existence of the agricultural markets, but noticeably they have been shaking them a lot here over the last two years, and that has intensified as we've seen actual shooting war develop in Eastern Europe. One man has really been able to give us a lot of on-the-ground insight about the developments in Europe and around the world, and that's Mr. John Hulsman, founder of John C. Hulsman Enterprises and host of the Around the World in 20 Minutes podcast. John, thanks for joining us today. Always a pleasure, Mike. Let's start first with the situation in Ukraine. We heard Russia here over the past two weeks pull their forces from Kiev and, and elsewhere, and they're turning their focus to the Donbass. John, what does this mean in terms of, of the conflict as a whole? Is this an escalation? Is this a de-escalation? Is it a push? I, it's a little bit of all of that. Uh, what they've done is fail for the knockout blow. The blitzkrieg, as we talked about, Mike, has failed. The plan was too complicated. They didn't count on Ukrainian nationhood, and they sure didn't get count on Western sanctions. And so they've done some things now in the Donbass to try to make this simpler. Instead of a three-pronged assault, this is going to be a one-pronged assault. This is Marshall's Yukov territory. This is straightforward with tanks and then artillery. This plays to the strength of the Russian army. They want to link up Rostov on Don, which is in Russia itself and easy to supply. The Russian-speaking provinces of the Donbass, the area around Mariupol and the Sea of Azov, to the area in Crimea that Russia controls. And if you look at a map, all that is contiguous and all that makes sense. If Putin can do that, he can come away and say, I've gotten a win. And that's what he desperately needs to do if he's going to survive this. Is he going to get a win here, John? What's your read on the Ukrainian forces and the pushback against Russia? 
Well, the longer this goes, the harder it is for him to get a win because he's in essence taking on a proxy war with the West now. And the Biden administration have just given him yet more wherewithal. It, it'll be to the tune of about $3 billion now, including some heavy armor, armored vehicles, artillery, some things to stop the Russians and push them back. And let's remember in the Donbass, there's already been fighting at a low level since 2014. So the Ukrainians already have trenches there. The Russians have to break out of these trenches. If they do so, the land is flat and not boggy, and so the tanks would have room to run. But if they don't break out, they're going to stay bottled in. And so far, they've not broken out. John, in one of your most recent video updates, you said that Russia is an aging gas station with okay. nuclear weapons. Could you tell us a little bit about what that means and how we should use that to kind of put this violence into context? Well, the, the Russians have only one thing in their economy. I can tell you the geoeconomic strength of Russia any single day because I can tell you the spot price of oil and natural gas. All efforts under President Medvedev and Putin to diversify the Russian economy have failed. And they, they sell weapons abroad as an export and they sell oil and natural gas. And that's it. The Russian economy is slightly smaller than that of the state of Texas. And so they don't have this huge wherewithal that, say, China would have or Europe would have or the United States would have. They have to go for a knockout blow. The longer this goes on, the worse it is for them, particularly with those sanctions. John, as this war has developed, of course, inflationary pressures have developed around the world. We're seeing them in the U.S. You're based in Europe. Are price inflation, notably food and energy inflation, are they a regular topic of conversation amongst the folks you interact with in Europe? Absolutely. And in a way, it's even worse because the, the Europeans, particularly the Germans and the Italians and the Eastern Europeans, get a huge proportion of their oil and natural gas from Russia. The natural gas import number in powerhouse Germany is over 50%. So it sounds nice if you're just going to cut them at the knees and do away with that. But of course, you have to fill that very quickly. And we know that this is a complicated process. The Germans are committed to buying offshore tank tanks that can take care of liquefied natural gas, including American LNG, which they certainly will, along with Qatari natural gas. But this is going to take two to three years to adjust. So there's a lot of nervousness in Europe that the Russians can start a recession anytime they want to. All right, John, as you think about the situation in Russia and Europe, as you mentioned, this has really consumed the world's attention span over the past two or three weeks. And that's given some other geopolitical players maybe a little more freedom to move. We're seeing some changes in the Indo-Pacific theater. John, can you talk about what China has been up to in the South China Sea? Mike, thanks so much for reading my stuff. I just wrote about this today. And you know, as my grandmother from Ohio would have put it, you got to learn to walk and chew gum at the same time. And our problem in Washington when I was there is that we're very good at doing one thing. We're less good at kind of multitasking. And the problem is that while we all obsess about Ukraine, the Indo-Pacific, where most of the world's future political risk will be and most of the world's future economic reward will be, is being neglected. And over the weekend, the Chinese cut a defense deal under the table with the Solomon Islands, which are only 1,200 miles from Australia, and a deal that we fear in the long run could lead to them having basing rights there. And this really puts a foot on the windpipe of Anglosphere friend Australia. And all this has happened while nobody's paid much attention because we're so obsessed by Ukraine. And even though we're, we're not totally paying attention, John, we continue to hear in this country that President Biden and the Biden administration are putting together an Indo-Pacific framework. I'm sure you've been keeping up on this. What are the What is the context of this framework and what should the U.S. be looking for to secure our advantages? The main piece that's missing, and, and by and large, the Indo-Pacific looks pretty good. The Chinese have been so expansionistic and aggressive that they've scared the horses. And so now we're closer to Australia than we've ever been, closer to Japan, closer to South Korea, all longtime allies. We're close to the Indians through the Quadrilateral Initiative, which is a mini NATO. The missing piece in the puzzle is part of the trade deal that the Asians and Pacific Rim signed called the Comprehensive and Progressive Trans-Pacific Partnership, the CPTPP, we opted out of this, which is a terrible mistake because we can set the rules for trade in the region of the world that's booming. And by opting out of this, we've done an act of self-harm. So all these countries look to America for strategic help, but look to China for economics. We've got to find a way to challenge them economically in the region. 
John, there has been conversations about rejoining the CPTPP. It, it, given the way that it was written after America backed out, would that still be the best path forward? I think it would be. And the problem is political is that in essence, we now have two quasi protectionist parties. The Democrats have been more protectionist. And let's remember, this was signed under Barack Obama and then disavowed under political candidate Hillary Clinton, who helped negotiate it. And the reason she disavowed her own work was that the caucus had become more protectionist. And with Trump and the Republican Party, you have the same thing, a Republican Party that tends toward free trade, having this protectionist overlay. And we have to make the case that this is a geostrategic reality. We want all these countries with future growth on side for economic reasons, but we also want them on side for geostrategic reasons in this most important area of the world. Well, we want them on our side, John, but as we look at China right now, they don't look terribly healthy, literally, with COVID as that continues to spread in the country and also the broader economic downturns that appear to be taking place there. Do you think China is still going to be a superpower long term? I do. And that's what worries me, because I agree with you, Mike, they're a peaking power, as we've talked about. And much like the Kaiser in 1914 or the Imperial Japanese in 1930, this is, these are areas that have been booming for a very long time that are peaking out, that are relatively beginning to lose trajectory. The Chinese demography is terrible. Uh, the state-owned enterprises are sucking away their capitalistic advantage. A one-party state's not a good idea for innovation. On all these fronts, the Chinese are in real trouble. Plus, they've awoken everyone in the region to their expansionism. And so they have about five or six years now where they either have to use it or lose it. And that's the period of peak danger, as we found out with the Kaiser and the Imperial Japanese. And that's what worries me. It's the medium term that's concerning because they are losing market share. And although they're a great power, they don't seem able to supplant us. And that means they either have to attack soon or not at all. Well, as we think about the, the Chinese future, John, and their ability to compete, can the U.S. continue to find ways to merge with them economically if they're continuing to build bases in the South China Sea and, and for, sign defense treaties with the Solomon Islands? Can we work with them? I, I think that we have to do what Reagan said, trust but verify. I mean, the goal is to change the mindset of the Chinese leadership. And I don't think they have a clear idea yet as to whether they're going to go for Taiwan or not. I think that they're pursuing all options. For this year, it's off because Xi Jinping has a leadership uh, contest in the, in the end of November when he's going to be anointed in essence leader for life. So he doesn't want any problem now. But after that, we have to look at ways to change the calculation. And one of them is to sign reasonably short-term deals with them and see if that begins to affect their attitude and strategy. If it does, we should continue. And if it doesn't, we should get out. Trust but verify. Reagan knew what he was doing. Both carrots and sticks need to be a part of the arsenal. John, before we let you go, India, the other component, obviously, in that Indo-Pacific framework, they've kind of been a, a stepchild here with the battle in Ukraine, trying to align with Russia, China, the U.S. Where is India finding that middle ground? They're finding it hard because the middle ground is contradictory. On the one hand, they're terrified of the Chinese, and rightly so, because the Chinese came over the border, the line of actual control, and have taken about 100 kilometers of territory along the Himalaya where they had some actual fighting. So they know the Chinese are the neighborhood bully and that pushes them toward America. But on the other hand, they have longstanding ties from the Cold War with the then Soviet Union. They buy most of their weaponry from Russia and they're buying bargain basement oil from a Russia desperate to sell it. And, and India is energy starved. And so they're trying to have it both ways. But in the end, you can't have your cake and eat it too. So we have to find a way over time to talk the, the Indians off the ledge and put them back firmly into our camp. But I think that is doable. All right, folks, if you want to keep up with John's thoughts, you can read his newsletter at John Holzman, H-U-L-S-M-A-N dot Substack dot com. John, thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate your insight and analysis. Great fun, Mike. And folks, stick with us when AOA returns. Mac Fisher, chief economist at the National Grain and Feed Association, will join us. We're going to talk about rail issues across the country. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? 
When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. On-road or off-road, you'll find the FS lubricant you need from our full line of premium quality products. At FS, our lubricants use the highest quality base oils and latest additive technology to meet and exceed most manufacturers' specifications. Advanced protection against wear ensures you'll get maximum value from both your lubricant and equipment investments. Squeeze every bit of performance out of every piece of equipment you own. Let the FS energy specialists help you go further. Go further with FS. Visit GoFurtherWithFS.com for more information. Soil, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Soil Ship Enterprise to explore soil life, to boldly grow where cover crops have never grown before. Farmer's Log, soil date 31655.4. We've come across some strange but incredibly helpful life forms. We didn't have to travel far to find them, but these organisms have proven invaluable on our trip through the solar system. They help feed us by nourishing and protecting our crops. They've built our soil structure to make it more resilient to the harsh weather we encounter. Our sensors indicate they're even helping us store carbon that plants take out of the atmosphere and put it back into the soil. Guess you can say our living and life-giving soil is the best thing to cling on to. Um, sorry. <laughs> That's soil fleet humor. <laughs> Visit your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today and learn more about the basics and benefits of soil health. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station. If you're not filling with Cenex Premium Diesel, then you're not giving your fuel system the premium treatment. Cenex Roadmaster XL comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, while restoring your power by up to 4.5% and your fuel economy by up to 5%. Typical number two diesel? I guess it covers the basics. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Mike Rowe here with a gentle reminder that civilization is held together by pipes, wires, and cables. It's true. There are over 5 million miles of gas lines, power lines, fiber optic lines, water lines, and sewer lines all buried beneath your feet. And every 60 seconds, somebody digs into one. Look, if you're thinking about digging around, do yourself a favor and call 811 first just to find out what's down there. Trust me. You don't want to find out the hard way. Call or click 811 before you dig and visit safeexcavator.com for more info. Tough 5 ec is a selective contact post-emergent herbicide that synergizes HPPD inhibitors and enhances the effect of atrazine. Tough 5 ec works fast and can significantly improve the control of weeds such as water hemp, palmer, and kochia today and help prevent the selection of herbicide resistance tomorrow. Tough 5 ec is in stock and ready to ship. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5 ec or visit BelgiumUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. An ongoing struggle here as the world emerges from the COVID pandemic lockdown continues to be supply chains. It was ships were the biggest problem at first, of course, and then trucking continues to be a longstanding issue as we try to recruit more drivers to that space. And lately, rail transportation has been disrupted. Here one month ago on March 24th, 2022, the National Grain and Feed Association issued a call to the Surface Transportation Board for them to help out with the troubles they were seeing on the rail lines. Joining us today with an update is Max Fisher. He's the chief economist with the National Grain and Feed Association. And Max, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, glad to be with you. Thanks for having me. A month ago, when NGFA called for the Surface Transportation Board to look into the rail issues, what were some of the complaints you were hearing from your members? Uh, we were hearing in the Midwest about uh, or grain origins and elevators that, uh, you know, the trains were just sitting on their tracks for, you know, as much as 10 days to two weeks at a time when normally they would get the train loaded, like in normal times, and, and the train would be pulled about a day later. And then that, of course, because those trains were sitting so long, uh, the end users, you know, say out in the, in the West, like at the PNW uh, export facilities or in California, at the livestock and poultry operations, um, they they were running literally running out of corn. <laughs> you know, in the case of the livestock feeders and in the PNW, they were just having to have their vessels sit sit out in the ocean waiting for the trains to arrive with grain. So. Um, it was kind of twofold. We were, we were hearing both in the Midwest and then also at the end users. And I know NGFA likes to work with private parties first and foremost before getting Uncle Sam involved. As you reached out to the rail carriers, Max, what were some of the reasons they gave for these delays? Um, the primary reason is just lack of rail crews. They're just right now, there are simply not enough uh, people working at the railroads to, uh, to move all these trains. So the railroads, uh, they changed their business operating models, you know, a few years ago. And um, in an attempt to reduce their overhead, they laid off a lot of employees. And anyway, now that demand has come back, you know, to pre-pandemic levels, um, they just don't have enough people to move the trains. That, that's what's going on. Those labor struggles that we've been seeing across the country there, they have no made no exception for the rail industry. Max, NGFA was one of the first to really raise this issue here in public. Since then, a number of other groups have jumped on and have noted the, the difficulties they've seen recently with rail transport. How has the Surface Transportation Board responded? Are we getting any action at the federal level? We're starting to. Um, yeah, so they've been gathering a lot of information on this. Um, they've, they've scheduled a rail service hearing that's going to be held uh, tomorrow, April 26th, and then also on April 27th. And groups like mine are, are going to be testifying, and, and so are the rail carriers. And uh, anyway, based on that information, I think the board is going to be evaluating their options as to uh, what policy changes they can put in place. And then obviously, uh, you know, obviously we're going to work, try to work with STB to try to uh, have them work with the rail carriers to make sure that they are getting enough people hired to where this is not going to be a, you know, a long-term trend. We want this to just be a, a short-term phenomenon because the, the expenses from this have been quite high for the grain industry. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, sell it or smell it. Of course, a lot of these products, while they're in transport, they're not great to be in transport long term. Max, as we think out a little bit longer term, hopefully the rail industry is able to meet this challenge, but I'm guessing they're going to have to hike pay rates in order to hire more crew. Is the NGFA anticipating higher rail freight costs into the future? I mean, for the foreseeable future? Yeah, they, they've already been announced. Uh, typically, the railroads give about, you know, five to six months notice before they raise rates. So um, we saw just in the last couple of weeks, you know, a couple of the rail carriers have already come out and, the, you know, the, the hikes are in the kind of the five to eight percent range. Uh, but that's actually pretty normal. That's that's kind of what they do year in, year out. Um, we've just come to expect it. Um, even in the, those might seem like high inflationary type rates, that's 
more or less normal for a rail right. transportation. All right. As you prepare for this meeting here with the Surface Transportation Board, these hearings on the 26th and 27th, Max, what is NGFA hoping to see the Surface Transportation Board do? What What is going to make these meetings a success in your eyes? Um, in the short run, definitely want them to just really focus on the labor aspect, putting a lot of pressure on the rail carriers to hire enough people to make sure this is done. You know, the rail carriers, they got to balance the needs of their shareholders versus, you know, their stakeholders, those who actually ship the products. So uh, right now, the shareholders, they've been taken care of quite well. You know, the railroad stock prices have really been on a tear um, over the last few years and over due to, in part, reducing their overhead costs, but it's come at the expense of the stakeholders, the shippers. So we just want to make sure that uh, the STB puts pressure on the railroads to take care of both groups, not just not just the shareholders. Um, as far as long term, you know, we, we're kind of thinking that uh, the STB probably needs to have a little more oversight on the rail carriers. Um, you know, right now, for example, the rail carriers charge, um, like grain elevators, for example, they charge them to merge if it takes them more than a day to load a train. Whereas if the railroad in turn goes and lets that train sit for like 10 days to 14 days, they don't pay any demerge to, to, to the grain elevator. So it's, it's kind of a one-way one way traffic right now. Both sides are not benefiting. So we'd like to see some uh, reciprocity on those demerge charges. We think that would provide incentive to get those trains moving. All right. We will continue to keep an eye on that, folks. If you want to keep up on this issue, NGFA has been watching it. You can reach their website at ngfa.org. We've been talking to Max Fisher. Max, thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much. Good to be with you. And folks, join AOA tomorrow. We'll be speaking with Diana Fuchgart-Roth. She is former chief economist at the Department of Labor. We're going to talk about inflation. We're going to talk about the labor situation in this country. And we're going to talk about battery-powered vehicles. So tune in on Tuesday to AOA. Have a great day, everybody. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Okay, gotta be late. Gotta go, gotta go. Where'd I put... Ah, wallet. Check. And... Oh, phone. Uh, check. Keys. Check. Lunch. Check. Checking for the things you need doesn't take long. But what about checking for your safety? Right now, one in every five vehicles on the road has an open safety recall. But it only takes seconds to check for open recalls on your car at checktoprotect.org. All you need is your vehicle identification number or license plate number. Your automaker may not have the right information to notify you about recalls by mail, especially if you recently moved or drive an older or used car. Checktoprotect.org is the quick, easy way to find out if your vehicle has an open safety recall and find the closest dealer who can make the repair for free. Oh, oh, laptop. Check. Before you go, take a minute. Visit Checktoprotect.org. Check to Protect is a program of the National Safety Council.